People are actually losing their homes and asking to rent in our apartments. The biggest obstacle is, of course, lack of funds. We think we've helped 58,000 people. We're constantly having a greater demand for affordable housing. Welcome to the Affordable Housing Podcast, brought to you by Eden Housing. Welcome to the Affordable Housing Podcast, brought to you by Eden Housing. I'm Joanne Green, and today I'm in conversation with Caitlin Fox, director on the Justice and Opportunity Team at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, CZI as it's called. It was co-founded by Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook to advance human potential and promote equality in areas including health, education, scientific research, and energy. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and in particular about the Justice and Opportunity Team. So as you mentioned, CZI was founded by Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan um, about four years ago. And we focus on three areas, education, science, and justice and opportunity. And in all of those areas, we leverage grant making like a traditional foundation would, but we also combine that with private investing, uh, direct political activity to reform and move policy, and also with technology. And I sit on the justice and opportunity team, which is where we're, where we're really focused on removing barriers to opportunity for people. And specifically, I work on our housing affordability team because we believe that housing is really fundamental if you want to provide meaningful opportunity for individuals, families, and communities. Do the efforts of the initiative largely get focused on problems in the Bay Area, or is it broader? It's broader. Um, most of our work is national, and some of it, especially in science, expands beyond uh, the U.S. However, housing is our only initiative that's really focused uh, in California, and mostly in the Bay Area, because we really believe that it's the most pressing crisis in our own backyard, but it is unique in that regard that it is focused locally. Why do you think it's such a big issue here? Well, it's first of all, I think it's an issue everywhere in the country. We did a lot of analysis when we first started looking into housing to understand how does it compare the Bay Area with the rest of the country. And we were really surprised to find that housing affordability is a crisis literally everywhere. If you define it as the percentage of a population that is spending more than 30% of their take-home pay on housing, there's literally no part of the United States that doesn't have some kind of crisis. Even South Dakota, which has the lowest, lowest housing costs, has, I think, around 10 to 15% of their population is housing cost burdened. So it's really a U.S. problem. But in what's unique is that the Bay Area, it's really driven by supply demand. So it's really just there's not enough housing at different levels from very extre extremely low income up to market rate housing. And that's really putting a ton of pres uh, pressure on housing prices that translates into really sky high rents for residents compared to a place like Jackson, Mississippi, where it may be driven by more by poverty or a lack of wages. So in the Bay Area, it's really um, it's it's kind of death by a thousand cuts. There are so many contributing factors. It's been we've been underbuilding for decades. There are a lot of policies that get in the way that make it very difficult to build housing. And there's also just so much demand because especially a place like the Bay Area is such an attractive place for people to come and live and work that we're getting this constant demand coming in and residents that have been living here, families for generations, are getting pushed out because of, the, because of the rising rents. And so it's really this lack of production coupled with a lack of protections for existing residents in the face of really skyrocketing rents. 
When you talk about this history of underbuilding, what is that attributable to? Because clearly developers want to build. Right. Oh, it's again, there's so many contributing forces. And it again, in the US, we've been underbuilding, but in, the, in California, it's much more severe. And there's a few contributing things. One is um, our tax base. So we have uh, Prop 13, which locks t- uh, property taxes in, which makes it really difficult for local jurisdictions to build more housing because they don't have the tax base to support more housing. And it's not very, there's not much incentive for landowners to effect, efficiently use their land because they're paying very low relatively property taxes on it if they've been holding it for a very long time. So that creates an underlying disincentive to build housing. On top of that, there's extremely high costs in the Bay Area. In San Francisco, the, I, I believe the housing, the cost to build is double what it is in New York. You'd think those would be pretty comparable. And we still don't really know what's driving that. We, A couple of our partners, like the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at Berkeley, has dug into some of that because I think there's a lot of perception about what's driving housing costs and cost of construction that doesn't really match reality. So we still need to understand what's really driving that. Is it cost of materials, cost of land, time, all of the labor, above. probably all of the above. And so that is really difficult because it really makes it very, very hard to build housing. And it it pushes people away from building middle income housing or puts a ton of pressure on affordable housing developers because their dollars just don't go as far, which also nudges the whole market up to more luxury housing because the costs are so expensive. And then finally, there's a there is local resistance to housing. And it's, you know, a lot of people refer to it as NIMBY, not in my backyard. I think some people are motivated by that kind of NIMBY sentiment, but sometimes it's a little bit more understandable. You're living in a community you have for a very long time. You don't want it to change. You don't want more traffic. You you want the value of your home if you're a homeowner to stay where it is or, or imp- increase. And so there's this local disincentive and, and a lot of local communities don't necessarily want a, a large building going in in their community. Much less affordable housing exactly, or where so. they have an image in their mind of what that means, what it looks like, what it will bring. Exactly. Generally, so, an, generally a misperception. Exactly. And, and there's a big misperception of what affordable housing is, who is accessing it. And in a place like the Bay Area, because housing prices are so high, that definition of who qualifies for affordable housing is pretty expansive. And it's starting to reach up pretty high to the people we all depend on on a day-to-day basis, like our teachers, firefighters, nurses. And so really having a broader understanding of who's living in affordable housing is really key. So I think that's just all those things, the cost, the lack of incentives, and the lack of will for a community to absorb housing just makes it really difficult to get housing built in the Bay Area. Given this unbelievable multiplicity of problems and barriers, what is the vision of CZI and of your team for affordable housing in the Bay Area? Well, first, we we really want the Bay Area to be just, equitable, diverse, and full of opportunity. That's the, that's always been the promise of the Bay Area. It's one of the few areas in the U.S. where, according to Raj Chetty, an economist um, who is has gotten a lot of attention for his work on upward mobility, 
it's one of the few parts of the United States where a child born in the, the bottom quintile has a meaningful chance of rising up to the top quintile over the course of their life, which is not true for most of them, for most of the U.S. But we're, we really want to make sure that that's accessible to a broad range of people. And the vibrancy that has drawn so many companies to start here and to remain here is really threatened by our housing crisis. And so we really believe that we need to make housing safe, affordable, and accessible in order to realize that promise. And so we, we focus on three outcomes. One is producing a sustainable supply of housing at all levels. So we'd recognize that we need extremely low income, low income, middle income and market rate housing in the Bay Area. And we need to do that at the right proportions. We also need to preserve our existing stock of housing and not kind of slip backwards. And we're doing that through both policy change, ensuring there's enough financing for affordable housing, and also starting to look into the cost side, which we discussed. The second major outcome is ensuring equitable access to that housing. So just because it's built doesn't mean that everyone's going to get access to it. So that is where we're looking into common sense tenant protections, things like just cause eviction, right to legal counsel, emergency rental assistance, things that can protect communities in the face of rising costs. Because even if we build, 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 it's going to take a very long time for us to get out of the huge rut we're in. And in that time period, we could lose a lot of communities that live here. And so we really want to make sure we're, we're investing in protection and equitable access. And then the third outcome is just long-lasting political and public will for housing. As we talked about, there's a NIMBY sentiment. There's a lack of willingness to absorb housing, both by the city and by residents of cities. And so we really want to make sure that there is political will on the behalf of elected officials and public will to absorb that housing, to understand that while you may fear a little more traffic on your roads or a little more congestion or your neighborhood changing a little bit, what you get in return is that diversity, that vibrancy that drew us all to the Bay Area. And is that going to be some sort of mass campaign or educational effort to really shift public opinion? I think it'll combine a little bit of what we say is inside game and outside game. So we obviously need to push on legislators and mayors and, and city council members to to be more pro-housing. We're seeing a lot of housing activities in, in Sacramento, which is fantastic. And we need to tell those legislators, we're here for you. We've got your back. This is what we want is, is this ho absorbing housing reform. And then we also need more outside games. So just steady organizing to support housing, having organizations that can help get people to show up to city council meetings when uh, affordable housing development is being approved. Um, but we're also looking into, in terms of really long-term change, how do California voters really feel about housing? We understand there's been a lot of polling and understanding about will you vote yes on Prop 1? Will you support this ballot initiative in your local community? But we don't really understand how voters feel about housing at a, on a values level. Like our hypothesis is that people value diversity in their community and they value bumping into their teacher at the grocery store and making sure that the nurse that's taking care of their aging parents isn't driving two hours to work every day. And connecting that value system to housing and understanding how do we message that in a more effective way. It's very tricky. It's very tricky. And I think 
there's just been that lack of just understanding how people relate to housing and what will move them to act in line with with what we think are their underlying values as opposed to having the conversation remain at this, I don't want more traffic, you know, I don't want the value of my home to go down level. Me, me, me. Yeah. So these are lofty goals. These are the right goals. Clearly, anyone who's looked into this issue knows that what you're saying is exactly right. You're going to need a lot of partners along the way to to realize these goals. Eden Housing is one of those partners. How will you work with Eden and people like Eden? Exactly. It's I mean, partnership is the name of the game. This is a, a problem that has been decades in the making and it is both a market problem, it is a public will problem, it is a policy problem. It's so multifaceted that no one actor could have any chance of tackling this alone, nor does an organization like CZI, even with the resources that we have, have nearly enough resources to even think about moving the needle on this by ourselves. So it's been very important to us from the beginning to work with developers like Eden and their peers and elected officials and community advocates and faith leaders to understand what what is what is the problem to really help co-define the problem and what even though there might be a lot of them what interventions could start to move the needle and an organization like Eden and their peers that have been doing this work for so long deeply understand what communities need. They're in these communities all the time, figuring out what housing's gonna work, who's gonna be living there, what what income levels are needed. And they- and they've made the mistakes. Exactly, exactly. And they know the pain that is associated with raising the money and putting together the financing and getting it built and lining up all of those pieces, getting the public will locally to get it done. So they also just have such a front row seat at what is getting in the way. And so helping understand what what needs to change in the system to make it easier for you to deliver the housing that you know the community needs and that the community has told you they need. And so really we we couldn't do the work that we're doing without organizations like Eden who are pounding the pavement on the ground doing the work we don't know what the pain points are. We don't know what the solutions are. Those closest to the problem are closest to the solution. And so that's why it's so important that we are in constant conversation with organizations like Eden to help us best direct our resources. Will there be specific ways that you will be partnering moving forward, for instance, investing in in particular Mm -hmm. projects? Well, one thing that we launched in January was the Partnership for the Bay's Future, which was a collaborative effort, again, with um, a a number of funders and philanthropies in the Bay Area, corporations, developers, elected officials, community leaders, and um, CZI and other funders are chipping in really flexible, risk-tolerant capital to help fill the gaps on really high-priority housing types in the Bay Area defined through conversations with organizations like Eden. So understanding what's not getting built that you know is one super high priority and is just really hard to get done because either the financing that's available isn't long-term enough or the rate is too high or it's not flexible enough. And so designing very intentional products that will help fund a lot of things like middle income housing, preservation, small sites, things that are really hard to do, but that communities are saying they really need. 
And so where that is being rolled out, which organizations like Eden and other developers will be able to tap into to get those projects done. And then we also have a, a sister fund that will provide grant resources to local jurisdictions to build capacity to absorb that housing. So there's a lot, San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, some of the larger cities in San Francisco have a lot of capacity. They still need help, but they have a lot of capacity and staff. There's a lot of smaller cities that want to build housing, but they're really constrained because they are so stretched thin or they may not have the technical experience on their team to think creatively about different housing solutions. So actually, because we heard a lot from developers there's some cities we keep working with because they just have the capacity to work with us and we would love to work with the neighboring city and we know they have the need, but they just don't have the capacity to work with us. And so that will also be another way that we'll partner is being able to even put fellows into cities that could be solely focused on affordable housing and helping build that capacity to absorb it. Fantastic. Are there specific goals for the partnership for the Bay's future? Yes. Um, so we, our goals are, are production, preservation, and protection. The three P's, as we like <laughs> to call it. So we're hoping to preserve and protect directly through the investment fund about 8,000 units. And in that's the Bay Area. far less expensive than production, right? Preserving is, yes, absolutely. And I know Eden is, has been a very uh, big supporter of the preservation play, which is so important. And so, uh, so, so that fund will have both production and preservation products. And the goal is to produce or preserve 8,000 units directly. And then through the combination of the, fund, of the investment fund and the technical assistance that I mentioned, we're hoping to protect, preserve, or produce 175,000 um, homes or families from um, eviction or making sure that they're stabilized um, over the course of five to 10 years. It's impressive and it ambitious. Is. It <laughs> is, but when you think about the scale of the problem, it's, it's very daunting and 8,000 units feels quite small in the whole th scheme of things. But the goal really is that we are trying to do things differently and we're trying to really focus on the highest priority housing types and the things that aren't getting built and potentially providing some proof of concept. So if some of those units that get built are teacher housing on faith-based land, something that really hasn't been done before, or mes debt for mixed income housing, which is super technical, but something that just hasn't been available in the market before. If we can show that it works, then you could scale that. We could have CDFIs or banks start to offer those products at scale, and then the 8,000 units becomes much more. So it, it, it does feel ambitious, but it also feels like we have to be doing so much more. What can be done to change the politics around affordable housing? I know that's a million-dollar question or mm -hmm. $10 million question, but that's really at the core of a lot of the challenge. Yeah. Well, I think that, as I mentioned, I think we need to better understand how people relate and feel about housing, what some of the misconceptions are about who needs housing and who this crisis is affecting. But reframe how it affects you as an individual and make it a more positive message about your the value of your home 
is not going to decrease or it might by a little bit. But if the vibrancy of the Bay Area is not maintained, the value of your home is definitely going to go down. So really starting to reframe it in terms that people can feel more comfortable with. And then in terms of the politics in locally, regionally and at the state level, we have to show elected officials that we care. Communities have to rise up and say, this is what we want. And so it, it takes organizing, it takes mobilizing people to show up to city council meetings and say, we want this in our community. And then we need to we need to have the backs of legislators in Sacramento that are doing really bold things on housing when it's one of the many things that California is dealing with. Education, wildfires, healthcare, immigration. You know, how do we make sure that we can show legislators if you take on housing you're going to be successful. We're going to have your back and you're going to deliver the kind of results that your constituencies want to see. Can you take on housing without taking on transportation and some of these other support services that Eden has been so successful in, in really thinking about and delivering to its populations? Short answer, no. I think you absolutely need to do both because you can build a ton of housing, but if it's not transit oriented, then you're basically putting lower income and middle income people far from jobs, you're still causing them to commute a long distance and you're causing a lot of segregation. And so you absolutely need to both build housing in the right places and also build transportation and transit networks so that they, if you, if you get that, that equation right, you can build a lot more housing. You could even build housing farther out if there was meaningful transportation. And so we do a lot of the policies that we are supportive of, in, for example, in Sacramento, combine those. So thinking about how do you build more densely around transit? How do you increase transit funding but have it conditioned on making sure you're meeting housing goals? So really thinking about ways that we can com combine those more meaningfully. Well, on behalf of all affordable housing advocates. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you to you. Thank you to everyone at, C at CZI for really making this a big priority because it will ultimately contribute to the health and well-being of all of our communities. Well, we, we deeply believe this is, we can't get this wrong because it's the most foundational component of the types of opportunities that an individual and a family get access to in their communities. It depends, it determines where your kid goes to school. It determines what kind of jobs you have access to, how long it takes you to get to work, how much of your paycheck is going to your housing. And, or, and so I think that it's so foundational and we couldn't possibly be doing the work we're doing without the incredible foundational work that organizations like Eden have been doing for decades. I mean, we walked into this space a few years ago and learned from organizations like Eden and other affordable housing developers and community leaders what the problems were and what we could do. And we're, we're simply taking our cues from them. Well, it's a great partnership. Caitlin Fox, thanks so much for being here. Caitlin is director on the Justice and Opportunity Team at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. I'm Joanne Green. To hear more episodes of the Affordable Housing Podcast, please visit us at edenhousing.org. Wow.